Because you know it's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, 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 drought. Yeah, it's pretty clear. We're really short on blue. It's time to save it, save it, like we're supposed to do. Some say it's doom, gloom, and all our grass must go. But together we can make it and enjoy our golden state. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about that drought, no water. It's all about that drought, about From that From the mountains drought, to the no desert water. to the oceans it's to all, all across America, drought, back to sunny California, drought. and it is sunny today. And also going down to El Cajon, uh, welcome to the Water Zone Show on KCAA 1050 AM, 106.5 FM. I'm your host, Rob Starr. And unfortunately, or fortunately, my co-host, Mr. Mike Barron, is taking the night off to go and sneak home and surprise his bride of 30 plus years and take her out to a nice dinner because she never gets to see him on time early. So that's what he's doing tonight. So I hope everybody has a happy Thursday and welcome to the show again. Uh, Just some quickie news. We'll give a little bit here and then we'll turn it over to our ag because today's ag show. Well, two feet of snow is expected across northern Sierra Nevada this week, and that's according to the National Weather Service. It says a series of storms passing over northern California is expected to drench residents in rain and dump up to two feet of snow on the northern Sierra Nevada. And that's pretty cool because uh, people want to go skiing. Uh, a gentleman named Frank Gerke, who's the chief of the California Cooperative uh, Snow Surveys Program for the Department of Water Resources, uh, he was researching previous years when other major droughts were widely considered to have ended which was basically 1938, 1978, and 1993. And in each case, the Sierra snowpack, and that's the source of one-third of California's water supply, was roughly 150% of the historic average. And precipitation levels at eight key weather stations in Northern California located watersheds that feed Shasta, Oroville, Folsom, other major reservoirs, reservoirs, excuse me, Also, it was between 130 and 150% of normal. So his conclusion is if California receives 150% snowpack by this April and 150% of normal precipitation in the north, that should be enough to fill the biggest reservoirs and probably end the drought. So I guess the question is that everybody's going to ask, so how do we know when it's really going to be over? Well, simply put, the drought could end this year, and that's what, say, state officials are saying. But for this to happen, we all got to know this, as California enters the fifth year of the worst drought in our history, rains will have to continue arriving and pounding in relentless waves through April and and, and to to fill depleted reservoirs in the dry rivers and push the Sierra snowpack up to at least 150% of normal. You know, one week of rain isn't going to make up for four years of historic drought, and we are in a very deep hole. So other disasters, you know, it's, it's probably easier to understand that and, and put it in, in, in comparison to water. You know, everybody knows when a forest fire is contained because we know it stops. Every, we know when an earthquake stops shaking or a tornado, a tornado has passed. But with our droughts, there isn't widespread agreement among scientists and water managers about what signifies the finish line. Uh, California is a huge state and with many uh, different climates, water sources, and water users. Decent rain over a few months may be enough to grow green grass so that a Sacramento Valley cow rancher's business returns to normal, but it might not fill reservoirs enough, say, up in the Bay Area so they can lift the water conservation rules. Uh, Today, last bit of news here before we turn it over, the Brown administration released the 2016 update to the California Water Action Plan. And during a briefing sponsored by the Association of California Water Agencies, Governor Brown reiterated that even though El Nino continues to provide much-needed rainfall and snowpack, California needs unprecedented precipitation through the late winter months to significantly impact the current drought conditions. But his plan concludes the following, so we know at least it's going in the right direction. Make conservation a California way of life. Increase regional self-reliance and integrated water management across all levels of government. Achieve the co-equal goals for the Delta. Protect and restore important ecosystems. Manage and prepare for dry periods. 
expand water storage capacity and improve groundwater management, provide safe water for all communities, increase flood protection, which is really, really important. As we said, previous shows, 90% of the water that falls here in Southern California is headed for the ocean. Increase operational and regulatory efficiency and identify sustainable and integrated financing opportunities. So that's what's in this plan that he was uh, doing today, and uh, we hope that comes to fruition. So now we're going to turn it over. As I said, this is uh, Ag Day, Ag Week, Agriculture Week, and we're going to turn it over to two of our wonderful specialists down at our micro-irrigation uh, division, Ms. Inge Bukuskoner and Mr. Paul McFarland. Welcome. Hey, welcome, Rob. That was a, a great uh, little uh, news um, news flash that you gave us there. Paul and I are down here in El Cajon. Hi, Paul. Good morning, good afternoon. And good evening, even. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you, Rob. Uh, we are uh, really excited to have a couple of um, really top-drawer guests with us tonight. We are having a theme of talking about water use in one of California's biggest crops in terms of uh, number of acres and the amount of water it uses. So it's really important that we that we irrigate um, that crop correctly. And that crop is alfalfa. Alfalfa is uh, not something that we'll see on the dinner menu at any uh, restaurant or at our homes, but I bet Paul could tell us what alfalfa is used for. Sure. Alfalfa is a, is a, is a forage, a green forage crop that's uh, used in the feeding of uh, primarily livestock. Uh, dairy cows they use it, obviously, to produce milk and cheese and butter. Uh, um, cattle, uh, sheep, and other uh, livestock use it uh, to, to help uh, grow. And uh, very common in California. It's one of the largest uh, uh, crops in the state. Um, uh, there yeah, are, a couple, it's hundreds of thousands of acres, of thousands of in, acres in the so. state, so it is an important one. Important I guess I can use that because my wife says I eat like a cow. <laughs> Maybe you have alfalfa on your menu. Maybe Rob. just sprouts, Rob. Alfalfa <laughs> sprouts. It's also really good for the soil. It's a it's what it's called. It's a class of plant called the legume, so it actually um, adds nitrogen to the soil. And so a lot, a lot of great things about alfalfa. And our first guest is somebody that knows an awful lot about alfalfa as well. Um, and I'd like to welcome him. Mark, are you on the line? Yes, I am, Inge. Oh, fantastic, Mark. Well, Mark, Mark Greenwald is the president and CEO of S&W Seed Company in Fresno, California. And S&W provides expertise in ag breeding, production, and processing for the alfalfa and stevia industries. That's another crop that we'll be talking about tonight. Previously, he served as CEO and president and farm manager of Triangle Tea Partners and was responsible for farming operations on 13,000 acres of diversified um, uh, crops uh, and also founded his own consulting company and was also CEO of S&K Foods. But most notably and most uh, famously, he spent over 26 years uh, in management at the J.G. Boswell Company, one of the country's largest farms. He served as VP of Ranching and as a member of the board of directors uh, during that time. And we're, we're really excited about learning a little bit more about that. Mark earned his uh, BS in agronomy from Cal State University in Fresno, an MA in leadership from St. Mary's College in Moraga, and he remains active in the leadership committee of uh, Cal State University, Fresno. So welcome, Mark. Uh, thank you very much. Well, Mark, you were actually raised in Southern California before moving to Fresno and becoming a farmer. Um, maybe you could share a little bit with our listening audience about uh, why farming is such a passion for you. Well, ba basically, that's a little bit of misnomer. I was born in uh, Exeter, California, and, and was raised my early life up in Fresno. So I was in Tulare County, and both my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, and my, and my father owned farms and farmed in the San Joaquin Valley around Exeter and Lindsay. So when my parents would travel, I would spend all the summers up in the valley uh, working on the farms. And as a 12-year-old uh, youngster, I was driving two-ton loads of peaches and different types of crops uh, to the weight stations for grading from Lindsay to Exeter uh, back in those days. And then uh, I lo my love for agriculture was so great and the passion to be outside and to watch things grow uh, and, and to see the See your results so quickly uh, got me right into agronomy, into uh, Fresno State, and and right from there I went right to work for the for the Boswell Company and took on thirty three thousand acres 
right out of school way back in 79. So my passion and love uh, continues for, for ag and uh, for what it does for the, for the world, especially when you look at uh, the population growth that we're going to have uh, globally. And uh, by 2050, they're, pro- they're projecting 9 billion people on this earth, and we're going to have to figure out a way to feed them. Um, Mark, this is uh, Paul McFadden. I was just curious, uh, uh, kind of your, in your career in terms of uh, working 26 years at Boswell and then with uh, the other uh, the other companies, SK Foods, uh, Triangle T Partners, and uh, S&W, could you maybe give us a little uh, more background in those areas? And, and uh, uh, obviously it all builds to where you're at today, but it just... I think it would be uh, interesting for the listeners to hear hear that as well, and 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 the things that you did in those organizations to help, uh, 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 as you say, help produce more food to feed this hungry world. Well, it's just uh, the basics was uh, being fortunate enough to attend a high end university like Fresno State, uh, Cal Poly, and uh, San Luis Obispo and Pomona, and UC Davis. Uh, and some of those types of uh, universities are just excellent ag programs. Fresno happened to have uh, in-the-field uh, capabilities, so you had farm projects. And as an agronomist, which agronomy is the theory and practice of producing row crops, I focused on the row crop area. So through my careers at different companies, uh, mainly I've been working with cotton, tomatoes, alfalfa, quite a bit of alfalfa in both, both hay and seed production safflower, wheat, barley, and then mainly annuals that would be rotated every year with the exception of alfalfa and uh, as a rotation crop, and then how we could improve those soils. And so having the opportunity to spend, in fact, I live in Lemoore, California, and and I'm calling in from Lemoore, 35 miles south of Fresno. I'm in the northern corner of the lake bottom of the Tulare Lake, and I've spent uh, over half my life here. So I'm, I'm very, int- I'm very uh, intimate with the lake and its uh, soil characteristics and the reclamation that's needed to improve those soils, especially to remove water tables and then enhancing the yields of those crops. So I've worked on a number of initiatives and a lot of crops, uh, was instrumental in starting tomatoes in the lake bottom, was instrumental in bringing Pima cotton to the lake, uh, was instrumental in, in changing into drip irrigation. So currently, if you want to look at a crop like tomatoes, uh, in, in the olden days, I'll call the old days, 30, 40 years ago, it was all uh, direct seeded, sprinkled up, and furrow irrigated, and now it's almost all under drip irrigation. And these are the types of technologies it's going to take to not only increase yields, but to also feed the world. So with that, you know, I've, I've, I've run tomato operations, onion operations, built an onion plant in, uh, in Corcoran, California. That's no longer there, but uh, was instrumental in bringing onions, tomatoes, and, of course, Pima cotton, which is really the last mainstay in California now because it's down to 100 to 200,000 acres of ground and then watched uh, alfalfa uh, become a mainstay in the state. It's currently in the 800 to 900,000 acre range. Uh, so it's actually the second largest crop in the state of California, and it's the fourth largest crop in the entire world. The United States produces over 20 to 24 million acres of alfalfa a year. So it's a very major, and it's been a passion of mine, especially the seed side, to work in seed companies that could produce and improve the quality traits and the yields of that crop. Yeah, we were, Mark, we were together at the uh, recent alfalfa conference in Reno chatting about irrigation and water water management and, and different crops. And I remember you saying then and even in past meetings that uh, drip irrigation, in your view, just has a great future in California. And you pioneered a lot of that work on cotton and uh, other crops, and maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. I, I mean, we we've uh, we've discussed in previous shows uh, how much 
of the acreage in California, the irrigated acreage already is in drip, and we've done a good job. You know, we've got 65% of um, of, of our um, of the nation's drip is in California, so we've done a good job of, of adopting it. But the fact is, is that there's still uh, about half of the acreage in California is still flood irrigated, and um, much of it on crops like corn, cotton, and alfalfa. Whereas we we've done a good job on converting uh, the fruit, nut, and vegetables, but there's an enormous potential, and your work and your pioneering work uh, is very important to take us to the next level. And maybe you can elaborate on how how you see that happening in the future um, using technologies like drip in those crop categories. Well, the 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 water resources are forcing efficient use and more and more efficient use of our natural resources. And uh, we're going to have to work together to enhance that. And I have seen nothing that enhances water use management uh, and helps increase yields in a variety of crops better than drip. And so I think uh, under the proper management guidelines, I don't think there should be a farm uh, in the San Joaquin Valley uh, and in other parts of California that shouldn't be without drip as part of their management tool to allow them to better utilize their water capabilities on their ranches. Uh, if you want to take example for, for onions, when we first put drip in on onions, it basically took uh, 600, 700 sacks per acre. It doubled them. It doubled the yield. It reduced water. It reduced water on that crop from a three-acre feet per year water usage down to 1.2, uh, less than one and a half acre feet. So it cut the water use on the crop by 50 percent. Those are the types of things it's going to take to feed this uh, nine billion people that are going to be coming on this earth, an additional two billion people. So tomatoes. 35 ton yields to 50 to 70 to 80 tons per acre. That's the, the main driver on that is drip technology. Cotton, uh, we've worked hard on cotton. There is a yield increase. It's more of a function on of uh, for a farmer to look at where's the best water use for that technology, the, big, the best bang for his buck uh, with its resources. As there is a yield increase, but it's not as great as in some of the vegetables or in some other types of crops uh, that can utilize that that can utilize that system buried for a number of years without having to move it or change. So it definitely has a major part, and it's going to become a bigger impact, I think, uh, in the technology side of this protein play as well as other other types of technologies like solar. Uh, you guys mentioned in, in some of your ads previous to us starting this discussion, storage, water improvements, uh, and that includes the transportation of that, of course, desalination. And so when I look at the big three things for improvements to feed this world, it's the technology that you're involved with in DRIP, uh, also, you know, pivots, and, and types of sprinkler systems that actually enhance quality. Uh, of course, seed companies and the breeders and both classical breeding and in biotech and proper uh, soil techniques for soil improvements uh, and reclamation of those soils. And then when you couple that with water quality issues and how to maintain water quality, improve water quality, and utilize uh, water that has uh, high salt-type concentrations in it, and to reclaim that reuse, uh, that all goes into the breeding of varieties like we have in our high salt-tolerant varieties. And it's going to take those those high-end breeders around the, around the globe and people like yourself with the technologies of how to utilize that the best that are going to allow us to enhance yields on a per-acre basis. Just to uh, switch gears and, and uh, talk about uh, stevia for a minute in the in the few minutes we have left, Mark. Tell us a little bit about that and, and uh, what is it? Where did it come from? Why is it important? Well, stevia was deregulated under the GRAS program by the USDA, and that GRAS, G-R-A-S, is generally regarded as safe. 
so it's been a it's been a crop. Uh, it's from the mint family, indigenous to Paraguay, and it's been around for sixty plus years. But it's uh, the the leaf is utilized, and the extraction of that leaf is utilized with roboticides, and the one that most people are aware of or look at is Reb A, and that's the sweetener component of the leaf. So you extract that material from that leaf, and that and that material is approximately 300 times sweeter than sugar with zero calories and zero glycemic index. So we see that because of the USDA designation in 08, you're starting to see operations take a look at it and experiment with stevia. What we see uh, at S&W uh, with our team is that, uh, that we've been working with it since uh, 09 um, on pretty good acreage uh, and with a lot of research, is that it does require a lot of water, so we don't know if the production will end up being here. Uh, we've done it all on drip. Uh, drip, again, is vital for this, but it's a plant that requires 50 inches of water a year. And you hear the discussions on alfalfa and its water use. Well, alfalfa doesn't use any more water than cotton or tomatoes or spinach or these types of crops. It gets lambasted a little bit. But you know, under drift, these crops will use less. But uh, stevia even uses more water, and it's from a tropical environment. So I see its use as it's grown probably more in the Mississippi, Alabama, North Carolina, South Carolina-type areas and maybe down into parts of Texas, uh, into that region, uh, tobacco-growing areas, more than I would see it here in the San Joaquin Valley. But we do do a lot of research here. We have three patent-pending varieties as we speak, and we're getting ready to launch a fourth. And we think we've got improved taste that people are going to love. And it's already in about 250 products in the world. It's in, for example, Trop 5050. Uh, but that's a that's a combination because uh, the taste buds of a U.S. consumer still like sugar, and so they're blended products. And we want to get away from that and be able to provide a product that can be 100% used stevia that it tastes good, but you have zero calories. And that's the goal. Wow, that's really exciting. I, I after I met you, I bought a stevia plant and uh, planted it in my <laughs> garden, and uh, I bite the leaves every now and then, and I it is just a sweetener blast. It's un, it's unbelievable how sweet those leaves are. Mark, how can people learn more about S and W Seeds? What's the, what's the call letters? Uh, for... very, it's it's S A N W. We're on Nasdaq. We're public, and you can go right to the S and W website. Very easy to they look it up and just go. SNW Seed Company, and they'll be able to go right go to the website. It has some tremendous uh, information in there. We are public, so uh, everything about us is, is available and in there. And there's right. a lot about the company. It's 35 years old. And what, any one last piece of advice you would give to farmers that would like to improve their irrigation management uh, practices? And then I think we have to wrap up. Well, Ingie, I would say that uh, I would, I would uh, as a as a consultant, agronomist, and a, a longtime farmer, I would say it's very critical to add technology, especially irrigation-based technologies, into your farm program, uh, as well as selecting the right variety. Uh, the varieties of seed production, when you plant seed, at least as an annual or like alfalfa, is only 3% of your entire production costs, and so don't slack on high-quality seed. Get the best seed and the best variety that you can possibly get for your type of soil. All right. Well, you've heard it from the experts, folks. That's uh, how we're going to go forward in California with our limited water supply and still feed these billions of people uh, that we in this state do so well. Mark, thank you so much for your time this evening and being our guest. Uh, we look forward to working with you uh, together in the future on this. Thank, thank you very Mark. much for having me, and, and thank you, uh, Inge and Paul. And uh, on behalf of SNW, wish everybody a very happy new year. All right. Happy New Year back to you. Well, welcome back to the Water Zone Show, and I uh, hope everybody's having a good time. Just real quick before I turn back over to Ingi and Paul, just want our listeners to know we had mentioned last week that we want to have another contest because everybody seems to like to win things. Unfortunately, none of us won the lotto 
because we're all here <laughs> and working. But uh, congratulations to at least two people we know won. The third is questionable in California, I heard. But um, we're going to have a contest that's going to start next week. And what it is is everybody needs to guess how much water rainfall is going to happen in their city. And we're going to ask them to write us and tell us what their guess is. And it's for the time period of February 1 through the 29th. But all the submittals have to be, be have to be sent in to us by the 15th. And they can go to www.torowatersmart.com and go to the contact section. Write your name, address, and, and, and your guesstimate of how much rainfall is going to hit your city. And then we'll pick a winner. And again, it has to be no later than the 15th of February. And you'll get a nice dinner package and a night out of the town. So some other surprises we're going to give away. So anyway, back to Inky and Paul, and uh, have a good evening. Thank you, Rob. Uh, yeah, we've got another great guest um, uh, coming up, uh, and that is Daniela Zachariah. He is the Ag Water Management Specialist at uh, UC Davis's uh, Cooperative Extension. I was just with Daniela over the last couple of days in Modesto at a USDA drought summit, and uh Daniela, are, have you have you recovered enough to uh, visit with us for for uh, twenty minutes or so? Yes, definitely. Yeah, it it was really it was really a great meeting with people from Israel and Australia and all the UC folks. Um, uh, great discussions on technology, very valuable. So, congratulations, Daniela. That was a, a really valuable conference. Thank you. It was a it was a large effort, but it was always nice to share expertise from different countries and experience in in how to tackle uh, the challenges related to the drought. And and I think we have uh, a lot to learn, but a lot also a lot to share. Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, that's I found that really valuable sharing. Uh, both internally with our own California folks and also the uh, the international folks. Mm-hmm. Well, just for our listening audience uh, who, who don't know you, uh, uh, Daniela, yes, you are the Ag Water Management Specialist with the um, UC Clockford Extension, specializing in agricultural water management and irrigation. You completed your Ph.D. in civil and environmental engineering at Utah, Utah State University and served as scientific officer at the International Center for Advanced Mediterranean Agronomic Studies in your native Italy before joining the UC Davis faculty in 2013. And, Daniel, if I'm not mistaken, um, your current projects include estimating uh, the actual evapotranspiration or the crop water use of vineyards and also uh, alfalfa. Yes. And... um, also uh, developing methods of auditing the performance uh, of irrigation systems. So a lot of good work, and uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how how UC Cooperative Extension works with California farmers to help them use water and other resources uh, efficiently, both in times of drought and otherwise. Are we currently also working in citrus um, and estimating the water use in citrus with different size and and um, orientation of the canopy, as well as uh, uh, trying to understand um, also the salinity effect on pistachio water use. So besides um, besides vineyards and alfalfa, I'm covering another two very interesting crops. However. Um, I would say that the University of California, I'm very enthusiastic about the organization I, I uh, belong to because uh, University of California Cooperative Extension has been for more than 100 years and, and, and I think still is an engine for problem solving. And it is basically, it, it is basically a capillary network of researchers and educators uh, working together to provide science-based uh, information and answer to the people of California. So the way we uh, work is we engage growers and commodity boards and state agencies uh, to solve problems that are uh, locally relevant in the different parts and different areas of agricultural production in California and problems that are related to um, uh, the economic of agricultural production, uh, natural resources management, food security, and nutrition. Um, in terms of number, it's, it's a large network, and it, 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 it consists of 130 uh, campus-based uh, cooperative extension specialists, uh, 200 county-based farm advisor, uh, 700 academic um, scientists from uh, four campuses, and 
57 county offices throughout the state and nine research and extension centers. So we basically uh, have an army of people working to address um, um, a, lot of, a lot of pending issues. Uh, Daniel, this is Paul. I'm just curious, uh, uh, what how, what got you to into agriculture? Number one, but uh, uh, getting a PhD in uh, in uh, civil and environmental engineering in Utah, and then coming to California. You've come quite a ways uh, in your career. I'm just curious uh, how that all transpired. Uh, well, I um, I actually grew up in an area that is um, very important in Italy uh, for uh, irrigated agriculture. I come from a southern part uh, of Italy, um, and and um, I grew up um, uh, with water um, scarcity problems. My father was uh, the director for 35 years, the technical. Uh, director of a large water user association, water user organization. So I basically um, grew up with all the water scarcity um, uh, problems, and and then uh, I, I thought that that could be uh, really a mission for my professional life. So I did a master in irrigation engineering and a PhD in irrigation engineering at Utah State, and then I went back to Italy and for a couple of years, and then I decided that. Um, my mm, professional work uh, could um, um, get to a, an higher uh, level challenge. And so what better place than, than California for an irrigation person? <laughs> I'd say that's pretty true. Yeah, yeah, and I guarantee you uh, people who come to California usually don't ever want to leave. So I think, you're, I, I think we're lucky that you're here and that you'll, you'll stay with us to solve, solve our problems. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about the project that we're working on together, uh, Toro and, and UC, uh, on subsurface drip irrigation on alfalfa at the Russell Ranch near Davis. Can you share with um, with our audience what you hope to learn from those trials? Uh, and actually, they're also going to be conducted in the desert in uh, the southern part of the state, in, in Brawley as well, I believe. So can you kind of give an overview of what you hope to learn from that trial? Yeah, sure. Um, the uh, <clears throat> the subsurface drip irrigation project at Raster Ranch, I have to uh, say that it's a team effort undertaken by a bunch of uh, uh, scientists from the University of California, Davis, and uh, Toro Irrigation. And we, um, we plan to investigate um, the water, energy, and greenhouse gas emission footprint of alfalfa production under surface irrigation and sub subsurface drip irrigation. We figured out that it's a gap of information for growers and state agencies in, 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 um, with, for the alfalfa production under two, two different irrigation methods. And also we want to provide baseline information uh, to growers and state agency on the potential uh, of uh, subsurface drip irrigation for increasing water and energy productivity uh, in alfalfa production in California. Um, this is basically uh, the, um, um, the rationale we are, um, we are working with, and we are about to start this uh, uh, quite relevant um, um, project for the drought uh, condition and also for the normal condition and and most of the state agencies like uh, Department of Water Resources and uh, California Department of Food and Ag are interested in getting information from this uh, research project. That's um, in a, with our previous guest uh, Mark Graywall. You may have heard him say that uh, uh, the significance of alfalfa as a crop in the state and as a as a country and globally. Uh, and I'm uh, just curious, your thoughts on what the impact is of uh, uh, converting uh, existing alfalfa farms that aren't, aren't using a, a drip technology, let's say, or more efficient technology in general. What, what do you think the impacts would be, and why, why aren't we seeing the progress uh, in the conversion like we are in some other crops uh, uh, like tomatoes or strawberries and things of that nature? Well, the potential impact in terms of um, um, water demand and water use could be really significant given the acreage 
um, of um, Alpha Alpha in California, but also getting the um, uh, the increasing um, uh, increase in production that we um, we are learning. Uh, growers are getting uh, through the um, uh, through the, um, the technology of subsurface drip irrigation. So. Um, uh, is I would say probably um, um, if uh, subsurface drip irrigation gets adopted by um, more growers, more alfalfa growers, we're gonna we're gonna see a, a significant increase in in, in alfalfa production on the, for the same amount of acreage, and we're gonna see probably. And, and a significant increase in water productivity. That means more crop per drop and per unit land in alfalfa uh, production. And uh, I, I would I would say that we don't have to forget that alfalfa is not a production sector by itself, but it is really uh, it's really functional to the number one. Um, industry in California, in, in uh, agricultural industry in California, which is the, the dairy. And so if you see a significant um, impact in the alfalfa production, you're going to see a carry-forward um, impact also in the dairy for the dairy industry in terms of either reduction of production cost or increase in, in economic benefit of, of uh, the, uh, the dairy industry. Well, that's pretty significant uh, considering how large a footprint the alfalfa water use has if we can uh, make it more productive and then also protect our biggest crop <laughs> or, you know, the, the, the cheese industry, the dairy industry, the milk industry. Uh, that's pretty important work. Yeah. What, what sort of challenges uh, do you think farmers will have to overcome to, to accomplish this adoption if it proves out as as we expect it will in the in the trials, because we've we've actually seen already some good uh, results in in production uh, acreage, uh, but we're hoping these trials will help us learn even more. What what sort of challenges do you foresee that you your team will have to help the growers overcome? I would say probably um, uh, one of the biggest challenge is is um, is um, uh, a management of the, this new technology in the field, uh, especially when growers come from uh, um, from a surface irrigation method. This new technology requires um, better skills by the irrigator. And, and so this is a, this I would say is um, probably the large, the biggest challenge, and so we have to do uh, additional effort in order to support growers that undertake this technology. And there are a few other problems that somehow limit the adoption of this technology. One one big problem is for sure rodent, um, and we we have seen uh, growers that are very enthusiastic. Uh, in the first year, and then start uh, probably being a little bit concerned in, in terms of how to to manage and how to avoid um, um, rodent in, in, in this um, surface uh, subsurface irrigated field. And so we're putting uh, additional effort in addressing um, uh, the the rodent management um, for California growers. And there is some also some other challenge because the subsurface drip irrigation was very successful uh, in in the last uh, probably 15 to 20 years in tomato production. But tomato is um, a, a crop that is totally uh, different with respect to alfalfa, and so it's a row crop, and so drip irrigation was, uh, was basically conceived for uh, row crop. Now we are adopting this technology in, in, a, in a crop that really is broadcast all over uh, the, the crop area, and so uh, there are some engineering um, aspects that need to be uh, really tailored and some, uh, some design and, and, and management uh, aspect of the system that need to be really um, um, addressed uh, in order to um, uh, broaden the adoption of this technology for alfalfa growers. Uh, thank you. Uh, just one uh, thing kind of strikes me. You've had a, a, uh, obviously a lot of experience globally working with farmers. Um, 
I think our listeners might be interested to hear what your thoughts are, your experience has been with growers, say, in the San Joaquin Valley of California versus uh, growers in Italy and how they differ or they similar or uh, more willing to adopt uh, new uh, technologies, less willing. I'm just curious what your thoughts are there. Yeah. Well, I remember before, uh, when, I, when I joined UC Davis, I had the chance of interacting with uh, uh, a few other irrigation specialists, and, and they told me, oh, don't worry, you, uh, you're going to be okay in California, because California is really um, it's a candy shop for an irrigation engineer. Well, uh, you know, as soon as I joined, um, it was really at the second year of drought in 2013, and then it came the third year of drought and the fourth year of drought. So really, California is a candy shop for people with my profile, but uh, all the candies are hot and spicy. They're burning. So, uh, <laughs> so it's California agriculture is really challenging. And I, what the, the main difference that I've seen with respect to all the, all the different countries that I worked, and, and it's not only Italy, but also uh, Northern African country, Middle Eastern country, is that uh, in all these areas, um, agriculture is highly subsidized and highly regulated by a multitude of state agencies, and it also has the more social-related component. In California, um, the farmer faced the, the challenge of uh, the two main challenges. The one is the economic viability of their farming activity, and, and, and also the second challenge is the, the long-term environmental sustainability. So those are... Uh, I think bigger uh, challenges and 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 you know the scale of agriculture production and the scale of farm farms in California is much larger and, than all the other countries and, and places that I work and, and so this is this is really um, um, this is a really a different <laughs> a different production sector uh, when when a production sector is, is subsidized uh, then growers are you know tied to their production and to the economic cost of the production but not so concerned and Instead, in California, farmers struggle with the with the challenge of keeping the production costs low and uh, and dealing with limited and 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 often impaired water supplies. So this this is uh, to my short experience in California, uh, which is basically uh, for the last three years I've been working in California. That's what I uh, perceived. That's what I understood. But I'm I'm in a in a steep learning curve. So uh, probably there's more work to uh, to uh, to be done in order to understand the overall picture. Yeah, you certainly did arrive uh, during an interesting time. Uh, th these are the four driest years that I can remember, and uh, you know, th I think this is the, the worst drought that, that any of us in our generation um, have experienced. So, uh, kudos to you for uh, hanging in there and lending your expertise to to help us. I, People say that this is the new normal, and we just need to pretty much get used to having big swings in drought and also then in floods. Would, would you, uh, do you do you agree with that? That um, we're probably just going to have to, from here on out, even if the even if we get a lot of rain and uh, and the drought goes away, that we will have to pretty much have a new normal. I would uh, agree with that uh, statement. Uh, in in the first few months on on uh, on the job here in California, uh, I tried to understand really the um, uh, the, the main challenges, and I uh, and I uh, read uh, a lot of reports, and I read a lot of um, I, I went through a lot of data, and I figured out that um, drought is recurring every so often in California. So. Um, is not really an emergency, and so I would say it's not even should not even be called drought anymore. It should be called uh, water scarcity, and the water scarcity concept deals with you know like uh, a, norm, a normal situation. If we call it drought, in my perception, we give the uh, we give the uh, idea that um, it, it's it's um, it's a it's an emergency with respect to a, to a different uh, average, or it's an emergency with respect to a different situation um, that that is, is is the basic the baseline situation. Here, it looks like. 
um, um, California goes in cycle of and fluctuates from uh, drought to flood, and so probably we it's part of our climate now, and and so we have to be uh, used to um, uh, deal with uh, a, I would say a more uh, permanent water scarcity and be prepared for highly. Uh, variable um, situation in the future and even more severe drought. And so I would say it's that I would agree with the statement that it's the, the new normal, but probably might even get a little bit worse or might uh, get a little bit um, better. Uh, but, you know, this fluctuation uh, is it's really, this the recurrent fluctuation is really a constraint for growers to do uh, additional investment in their field. So uh, we um, at the University of California Cooperative Extension, uh, we are making, a, 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 you know, a large effort in outreaching uh, continuously information about the state of the drought during the last four years and so um, and to inform growers that they have to be prepared uh, to this new normal. <laughs> so I would agree with your statement. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned that uh, other countries, they've got some subsidies to, to help with uh, adoption of technology. And, of course, uh, the state of California, our last guest was Carolyn Cook from CDFA talking about the SWEEP uh, program. Uh, that was a month ago. And I know you're really involved in that, and maybe you can comment on whether you think that program is going to help us move the needle forward in becoming better water managers in our state. Um, I would say um, yes. The California Department of Food and Agriculture is really uh, uh, making a, a good effort in in uh, in improving the water use efficiency. Um, again, I perceive that even from the state agency, this droughts are 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 considered emergency. So those uh, funds are emergency money. But I would say probably we have to move towards a more regular program to assist grower and to uh, support technically the growers in how to use a more effective irrigation management, more efficient methods uh, in the near future. So, uh, but um, the three program has, has started in 2000. If continuing in 2015, will be um, uh, going on in 2016, and probably will become a permanent uh, funding program for um, uh, for agricultural producers. Danielle, in, in the last uh, few minutes that we have, uh, uh, perhaps you'd just like to uh, tell the audience a little bit of, uh, from your perspective, what? How do you think? Uh, uh, or what do you think we should be doing as a state to allow farmers or in incentivize farmers to to move towards this new uh, technology and system of water management, both at the UC level and at the state level? I'm just curious uh, uh, what your thoughts are on that. Okay. Um, in, in, in during this um, uh, part of the year, um, we are um, the University of California uh, Cooperative Extension has started um, um, uh, talking with the state agency and uh, coordinating with the state agency in order to uh, come up with a concerted um, and coordinated effort um, to um, uh, for a statewide. Um, uh, the training of irrigator um, uh, for the use of this new technology and 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 devices in the field uh, to assist um, and to um, allow um, a more effective um, irrigation system management. So um, this is a, this is one side of the picture. Um, also, we are um, also coordinating with the state agency in order to um, uh, to um, uh, get a, a more accurate information on how is the situation in terms of irrigation um, irrigation efficiency in the different parts of the state. Um, uh, the Department of Water Resources is about to launch another irrigation survey. Um, with 20,000 uh, questionnaires 
that will be um, um, spread through uh, CDFA, and so we're going to um, uh, we're going to collect the information, analyze the information, in order also to understand where are the areas where there's more room for improving water use efficiency, agriculture water use efficiency in the state. So. I think we're doing uh, what is needed to do. Um, of course, there's always something that we could do better, uh, but at the, at the same time, we um, uh, we also get engaged in several uh, other statewide um, uh, projects, and um, and so. Uh, I would say we we doing um, quite a bit of of, of um, work that needed to be done. Um, I I don't think we uh, should do all the work uh, for drought management during the drought period. That's because <laughs> we have always this this uh, idea of emergency situation. Instead, uh, we should plan ahead of time during non-drought period how to face the, the the next drought cycle. And so this is what was discussed. Uh, with uh, USDA, ARS, and and uh, other um, um, universities in California, uh, so this is the reason why we came up with uh, with the drought management workshop in order to get um, a baseline information on how can we we uh, develop a drought preparedness initiative for the next drought cycle. So we wanted we wanted to remove. Uh, the idea that drought is an emergency and we want to work on drought management during uh, non-drought period. That, that's uh, the next step. <laughs> well, that's, that sounds like a noble effort. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight, your valuable time uh, on the heels of a very hectic week, I'm sure, for you uh, with hosting this conference. We hope to have you back uh, sometime soon and, and uh, hear about the progress. Okay, uh, it will be it will be my pleasure to uh, to try to contribute to also to this uh, effort. Thank you very yeah. much. You're very welcome. In the meantime, we'll uh, hope for more rain, and in the meantime, we'll also learn on how to deal with no rain. <laughs> so, yeah. Bob, we'll hand it back to you. Great, you had uh, super guests and great information, and uh, boy, it's just, I really like I enjoy listening to that. <laughs> yep, they're interesting people, aren't they? Absolutely, they're very passionate people that. Uh, they're all working together to help help us feed this uh, hungry world, you know, uh, in different areas that you wouldn't think of, from alfalfa to stevia to to all these different things, uh, from Italy to to right there in uh, in the Central Valley of California. It's it's amazing that it gets more noticed noticeable when there's a drought and when there's a crisis and and but it goes on all the time people just don't know about that anyway for, for listening folks don't forget we're going to do this contest uh, it's going to start on february 1st and it's going to go through the 29th you need to guess how much water rainfall is going to happen in your city and you need to send that into www.torowatersmart.com under the contact section write your name how much water you think is going to be uh, um, by the end of the month and then we're going to pick a winner who'll get a nice dinner out and a special activity that will be paid for by the water zone and uh, that's about wrapping it up for tonight and uh, we'll see you next week same place same uh, bat channel and kca 1050 am and 106.5 fm everybody have a great week thanks again Ingi and paul and we'll talk to you guys next week all right thank you thank you ron bye-bye